0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. States have long had elements of their state constitutions that openly discriminated against religious schooling. These historically anti-Catholic Blaine amendments have long prevented otherwise neutral state education programs from helping families who send kids or would like to send their kids to religious schools. The Supreme Court's decision in Carson v. Macon today might begin to change that. Cato's Neil McCloskey, co-author of the Cato Institute brief in the case, comments. Before we get into uh, the details of this particular case, what was this state of play as we understood it with respect to like the Supreme Court uh, rendering opinions that had a strong impact on educational freedom?
1: So we've had since Zelman v. Simmons Harris, uh, which you go back to 2002. Uh, a kind of long line of Supreme Court cases that essentially said, uh, first, as long as schools are chosen freely by parents, it is fine if they are religious. Zelman v. Simmons-Harris essentially or, or established that on the federal level, and then we've had this long line of cases that sort of progress from that that starts saying and what about on a state level is it okay you know on a state level but more importantly can states exclude religious schools from school choice programs so uh you can go back to trinity lutheran which was not specifically about schools but was it about whether uh a church could participate in a playground um Resurfacing, uh, I guess you'd like, yeah, shredded tires, <laughs> right? It was, I guess, a safety program, but yeah, could they be in a program where government paid for state government paid for them to get these uh ground up tire bits so that if kids fell off the swings, they wouldn't get hurt? And the state of Missouri said, "Well, you can't get it because you are religious," and that would be an entanglement of uh church and state. And they sued and it was, I think, twenty seventeen. The Supreme Court said you can't exclude a religious institution just because it's religious out of something that's religiously neutral. Then you get into Supreme Court cases, uh, Espinoza v. Montana, which I think was a couple of years later. I'm starting to lose track of all the dates. Um, but it said Montana could not exclude religious schools from its school choice program. And that was saying if your basically identity is religious, then you cannot participate. And the Supreme Court said, no, that's discrimination against religion. If you can say you can choose any school except one that's religion, clearly that violates the First Amendment and the 14th Amendment discriminating against religion. But they had a little wrinkle in there that that they still hadn't addressed something uh called use, where in Maine they said, you know, if you want to choose a religious private school and that their identity is religious, that's fine. But if they actually do any religious stuff, if they have prayers, uh, if they say you know God exists or something like that, then that would be off limits. So it was really a kind of a bizarre distinction of feel free to say you're religious, just don't do any religious stuff. Um, And so in this decision that Carson be making, they said no, you can't say okay. Well, if you actually act on your religion then it's okay to exclude those schools. If it's gonna be free choice of parents, government can't say free choice of everything but religion. That is discrimination. And that's kind of the state of play. Um there is one wrinkle in that, uh a decision from the nineties called Lock V Davy, where the state of Washington said you couldn't somebody couldn't use a state grant to go to college or I'm sorry, to pursue higher education Because that person's goal was to receive religious training to become a pastor, and they said that would be uh, an excessive entanglement, and Carson v. Macon, they let that stay. So they haven't completely overturned um, prohibitions where people would freely be choosing to use A benefit for religious education, but they're very close to that. And in terms of K-12 education,
0: they basically said, you're going to run school choice. You've got to allow people to choose religious schools. One of the issues here, and this is uh, from the discussions I've seen about this case, uh, Carson v. Macon so far, is its impact on what are known as Blaine amendments that are in a lot of state constitutions. So if you don't mind, what were the elements of the main program and why are Blaine Amendments implicated here?
1: Well, Blaine Amendments, thankfully, are are sort of uh, almost dead letters in that Espinosa v. Montana said, look, you cannot say, well, our state has an amendment that says you cannot have state funding directly or indirectly supporting sectarian institutions. The basis of that is you go back to the 1870s or so, and this Senator James D. Blaine, who actually was from Maine, had a, what he wanted to be a federal constitutional amendment that said, look, we we won't allow money to go to sectarian institutions. And at the time, sectarian was code word really for Catholic, because public schools, for the most part, were de facto Protestant institutions. They were kind of non-denominational, lowest common denominator Protestant, but they were still Protestant. They'd read from the King James Bible. They would say uh, Protestant prayers uh, sometimes. They would sometimes include material that was anti-Catholic. And so this was understood at the time of James G. Blaine to be okay, we're really not going to allow support of Catholic schools because Catholics were the biggest kind of dissenters, biggest group of dissenters from public schools, and they were starting their own schools so they could get education consistent with their beliefs. Um, it failed at the federal level, but many states adopted their own kind of Blaine amendments, amendments that said no state money can directly or indirectly support religious institutions. But the the problem with that was, it was really intended that, look, the state isn't going to directly give money to schools just because those schools exist. What we're talking about with choice is not the government deciding, well, we'll, you know, we'll choose to support Baptist schools, but we won't choose to support uh, Catholic schools. This was the principle here is free choice of individual families and students and parents, and so when the government says you are free to choose anything but religion, that is a different thing than saying we will directly support some schools and not others.
0: So Blaine amendments are kind of, I think at this point, dead letters. So what do you suspect that will that will mean for a lot of other states that are have school choice programs that, for example, both Kentucky and West Virginia have uh, – Uh, Well, West Virginia does not have a Blaine Amendment, but uh, this case uh, has implications for school choice programs that pay specific respect to uh, religious institutions. Yeah. Well, what's important in this um, case
1: and what distinguishes it from Montana v. Espinoza is this idea of we're not saying religious schools can't uh, participate. We're saying religious schools that practice their religion can't participate. The use of religion. And so if in Kentucky, if in West Virginia, if in anywhere with a school choice program, people say, okay, well, you're welcome to choose among religious schools, but if those religious schools act on the religion, then you can't choose them, then you can't do it. I'm not actually aware of... uh other states that have this specific use distinction, uh, but they might. What we see in a lot of other states is these choice programs are now being blocked, not based on religion, but did you follow the state constitution that says, you know, your. are rules must apply to every county as opposed to, in some cases, just two counties. We're seeing lots more of of that sort of, well, did you follow the right kind of process within our Constitution, not religious objections? Because, frankly, the court has kind of torn those all down. I think this use issue was the last impediment against choice of religious schools within choice programs. I think the frontier now is Do we start to say what is true, which is forcing people to support public schools, which are supposed to be secular, inherently discriminates against religion? And we're seeing more and more people talking about that. Justice Breyer talked about a lot in his dissent and Carson saying, "I'm, I'm kind of worried that this is what's going to happen. But that is actually kind of the logical next step is to recognize that we shouldn't force religious people to pay for secular institutions And then if they
0: want a religious education, that's pay twice. A whole lot of states, the vast majority of states have Blaine Amendments on the books.
1: Yeah, they they can be there. Um, And they could stop. If somebody said, look, I would like the state to fund, give $100,000 to Saint Teachers of Greatness School, that would be a violation of the Blaine Amendment. What the Supreme Court has said is the Blaine Amendment is not applicable to a school choice program. If you have a school choice program, you cannot say someone cannot choose a religious school. So in terms of school choice, Blaine Amendments are essentially dead letters. It doesn't mean, though, that a state can now go ahead and choose to directly fund religious institutions. What it can't do is say you
0: cannot choose a religious institution when we let you choose other types of schools. The cases you've uh, described before, Carson V. Macon, they're all about religious institutions being excluded from otherwise neutral programs. In the case of Maine, there is a small wrinkle with the manner in which the the program operates. What is that and um, why might that have an impact down the road?
1: So Maine operates something that's called a town tuitioning program. Which uh, essentially what it says is, look, if you have a school district or municipality in a small rural area, typically, that doesn't have a big enough population to maintain, it's often a high school. They may have grammar schools, but not the resources or population for a high school. They say, we will give you money to choose a private school. Um it's Maine, New Hampshire and Vermont have these town tuitioning programs. And so what somebody could say is, well, this, the Carson be making decision is really about town tuitioning. And Maine argued that, well, this is sort of peculiar because what we are trying to do is give you a substitute for public schooling. And so we could say that what you choose has to be substantially equivalent to a public school. Uh, the court said no. No. Um, because you only put a few, relatively few requirements on what people choose. But the most clear one is it can't be a school that's religious that acts on its religion. And so they said that that is sort of, a, it, it's not really an argument that allows discrimination. It just doesn't hold up to the facts of how the program works. Um And so, you can look at Carson B. Make and say, well, it's really only about town tuitioning, although it does start to get into these uh, debates. Like in New York, they're having this over just regular or not, private schools not connected to school choice saying, well, they have to be substantially equivalent to public schools. Um That sorts of sort of gets into that. But this was really the the importance of this decision is it took on this status versus use question, but somebody could read it, presumably, and say, well, it doesn't apply to our school choice program because it's not town tuitioning. I think that would be a stretch, but it is something to understand that this is about a specific type of program that doesn't exist in
0: very many states. Neil McCloskey directs the Cato Institute Center for Educational Freedom. We spoke today. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.